The NBA season is heating up and Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon have got you covered on The Mismatch. They discuss all the news, the trends, and transactions happening around the league. They also offer their on-court analysis and occasionally get into heated debates. Check out The Mismatch on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? We back. Another week. R2C2. This is our normal episode today. That's right. Thursday. Thursday release. We've been going two, two a weeks, though. So, you know, make sure you're following us on Spotify or subscribed wherever you get your podcast so that you get all the episodes since there's been bonus episodes. We had Kyle Higashioka earlier in the week. What's that? I said we've been working in this motherfucker. Yeah, test. man. We have, man. We have. So if you missed that episode, go back and listen. And uh, you yeah, Hickey was good. Hickey, Hickey's Hickey's got a great story too, especially if there's any kids listening to this podcast. Yes, um, don't ever you know give up, get discouraged on your dream, man. Hickey, Hickey is the starting catcher, one of the starting catchers for the New York Yankees, and nobody ever thought that he would be there, including yes. the including the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> it's I amazing. I love Hickey, man. I love Hickey. It, his story's amazing. The way he documented the challenges of it was great, and he had great jokes. So it was a perfect combination. He's a he's a funny, funny guy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it came through on the pod though. I hope yeah. it, I hope people got that. But Higgy's fun and funny to be around, man. He's 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 a lot of fun. <clears throat> I really enjoyed it. So make sure you go back and listen to that episode if you have not. Today we get to talk with Hall of Famer Rebecca Lobo, my broadcast partner, one of my close friends. Uh, she's you know she is a pioneer when it comes to women's basketball with what she did at UConn. And then at the the start of the WNBA, and and I think our audience is going to really enjoy uh, our conversation with Rebecca. But first, see, slinging heat today. There's one fastball you need to throw because you were so fired up about this. You were texting me the other night, like, I got my slinging heat, man. This, this, yeah, I need it, to talk about this. Yeah, it was just the, the whole Lindor, Jeff McNeil, media raccoon was it a brat thing? Like that whole shit bothered me. Um, just because I feel like the media just keeps digging and digging and digging, and then they were mad that they're not in the clubhouse to be able to find out the real story. Like, who gives a fuck what the real story is, bro? Like, that shit is none of your fucking business. If you didn't see it on the TV, you don't have to fucking report on it. Like, I was bothered that he told that story. Like, like when he came on the podcast, I told, just tell the truth. Like, it is what it is. These motherfuckers are going to dig and dig and dig until they find something, but, like, the fact that there were, like, I heard media guys have read articles where they were attacking Lindor's character and upset that they're not allowed to be in the clubhouse to get to the bottom of this. Fuck you! You don't need to get to the bottom of nothing, cuz. Like, just report on the fucking game, and that's it. Yeah, but that's not, but you know that the interest is... bullshit! That's only here, cuz. That's only a fucking New York thing. That shit happened in San Diego, L.A., Fucking Cleveland, anywhere else, nobody would be digging and 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 you have to tell some fucking story and it's on ESPN all the time. That's only a New York fucking clubhouse but, uh, problem. But hold on a second. That shit pisses what, me off. What, but what was on TV is a commotion and people running down into the Fine. clubhouse. That I, that's very irregular. You know that's irregular to see. Yeah, but like for them to, to like have to dig and dig and dig and then yeah, dig, then get mad if you don't tell the story. 
Like but, you know, they don't need to know the story, guys. But as a reporter, like, that's, that's their job. That's not that's not your that's none of your fucking business, guys. But you could say that, that is not your job, guys. So why? So but, that's but, not but, your job is to is to report on me hitting balls and ground balls and mm, fielding ground balls and shit on the field in New York. Place, only this, in New York is it to, for you to dig and dig and but, dig. That's that's only their job for the post and the fucking. New York fucking Daily News and the Bergen Record, whatever fucking shitty else newspaper that's around here. That's only the job of the fucking New York media. <laughs> but, Nobody else but, does that bullshit, guys. But, but I'm saying, if you saw a commotion in the clubhouse, which was highly irregular, and you're covering the team. Now, my job of covering the team is to try and report Bro, stories that... If something happened in our club, if something happened in our dugout, and you yeah. came to me after a game, and I told yeah. you... Don't worry about it. You wouldn't ask anybody else. No, I wouldn't. No. Exactly. Yeah. So but, just fucking but, be like Ryan but, Rucco. But, Leave it the fuck alone. <laughs> but hold on a second. You know there are guys in that clubhouse who would love to tell those reporters and would if there were reporters in the clubhouse. Am I wrong? Is there not one or two guys without there knowing are, everybody on the Mets? Is there not one or two guys usually on every team who would share what happened? 1,000%. Yeah. 1,000%. So, but... That, but but that only happens here because that's what I'm trying to. That's that's my point. The shit only happens in New York. Only a big do, big deal when you play for the Mets or the Yankees or the Jets or the Giants or you know the Knicks or the Nets. It's only a New York problem because like shit happens everywhere all the time. Teammates fight all the fucking time because yeah. shit happens every day. But they got to go digging and now you're attacking this guy's character and all this different shit. Like bruh. Just but, report on the goddamn game. If but, he ain't getting hits, that's fine. But like anything else, shut the fuck up. But 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 I will say two things. One, it happened in view of the cameras, and so it is interesting to people, and they want to know why. And it's the reporter's job to at least ask. Now, if they don't get answers, they don't get answers. But they're not wrong to say if they were allowed in the clubhouse, they'd have a much better chance of getting those answers. They would. But don't they be would offended that you're not. I, I, don't no, be offended that you're not in the clubhouse. Like, you shouldn't be offended because right now it's just the way it is, right? That's and, just the way and, it is. And the, the, this is the only place where there's 25, 30 reporters in your in, in the clubhouse. You know what I'm saying? So, yes. so if you're somewhere else and there are guys that want to tell the story of what happened, most likely it's not gonna get out because it's not that many reporters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I so do. It's, it's, it's maybe two or three beat writers, and if you don't go ask the right guy, then you ain't gonna get the story. Right. Here in New York, it's so many fucking people in the clubhouse that, of course, somebody's going. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that's that's what I'm saying. It's just a New York problem, and it pisses but, me off. But shouldn't Lindor have come up with and a different what, story too? He didn't have to say. He didn't have to say nothing. <laughs> yeah. He could have just said, "I don't know what the fuck you talking about." Then they would have really been mad. <laughs> you know but, what I'm saying? That's but, what I would. That's what I would have did. I don't know what the fuck y'all talking about. Yeah, but 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 shit ain't the, none of y'all business, the, guys. But coming up with the rat raccoon thing probably wasn't the best move. The rat raccoon thing definitely that was, <laughs> and that's what I was trying to tell him on the podcast, guys. Like, if, if you just got to tell the truth if something happened, you know what right. I'm saying? Because it is New York. They're going to find out. Guys. Yes, yes, they're going to find out. And oh then, and my then, gosh! You know, and now it's a raccoon. <laughs> oh, that's great. That I just wonderful. really like Lindor, and I wanted to work for him here, and and I feel like the media was attacking him unfairly because of his play. But they they want to attack his character now. Mm. If you want to attack his play, attack his play. The, yeah, he's a great guy. He's great. Got great characteristics. He's a great teammate. Got into a fight with a with a guy. It is what it is. Shit happens all the time. 
don't try to attack this guy's character. It's bullshit. What are you talking about? He got into a fight with a guy. He was just trying to find oh, out if it was a rat or a raccoon. Rat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. That's all. Uh, all right. That was a, a fierce and velocity-filled slinging heat. It pissed me off, man. I was yeah. so mad. If it, you know if I text you in the middle of the night, I'm pissed. I know. I liked it. It's funny because I, um, I was about to go to bed, and, uh, and I, I was just saying to Andrea, I was like, oh, wait, Cece's texting me something. And I said, I was like, if he's, if he's into something like this, I like to hang on the conversation because like, <laughs> it's, it doesn't happen all the time. You know? so I'm like, I gotta, I gotta see, I gotta see what's bothering him. Um, no, I hear you. And I, I look, I don't, I don't begrudge the reporters at all for trying to find out more, but I also understand that Maybe in other markets, what you're saying is it, it's more acceptable to just say, like, yeah, I'm not talking about that. Yeah, and it's not no, a problem. But, like, but, that and, type of shit happens every, damn near all the time, bro. And, and Lindor probably should have just gone that route rather than saying the rat raccoon thing. No, if he would have just said, nah, I don't know what you're talking about, that would have been better than the rat raccoon story, for sure. Yeah. And, and that's what, I mean, just going forward for him, it just either don't say anything or tell yeah. him the truth. Because yeah. they're going to find out. Yeah, exactly. Well, today we get to chat with a basketball Hall of Famer, yeah. one of my close friends, uh, a broadcast partner I've worked with for nine years. I, I, I think can. If you grew up in the '90s, you obviously know, you know, her, Rebecca Lobo. Like, if yeah, you, know, you if you grew you up in the it. '90s and you're a sports fan, you know who Rebecca Lobo is. Absolutely, absolutely. There, there was a lot of uh, young boys and girls wearing number fifty because of Rebecca Lobo. Absolutely, um, and. Uh, and she's just the best. She's an incredible analyst. She's an amazing, amazing teammate and leader. And I just could not think more highly of her as a human being. And, and I think people are going to enjoy this conversation, see. Between you and her trading stories about being parents and watching other parents' reaction to when your kids are playing sports is just amazing. It's funny, too, because we have kids that are around the same age, and we are the same age. Yeah. You know, around yeah. the same age. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So. It's, we have a lot, you know, we relate to each other a lot. It's great. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And Rebecca has some great stories about why she chose UConn and, and also the WNBA and, and where it's at today as it gets ready to begin its 25th season starting this weekend. We have a doubleheader on ABC Saturday. Rebecca and I will be calling the second game a, a rematch of the finals between Seattle and Vegas hey, at 3 Eastern. It, is Sue, is, has, is this her last year? We don't know yet. We don't know yet. She See, hasn't said yet. I need to talk yet. to her. I you need to need talk to, talk to her. her. If this is her last year, I need to you, fucking know. You got to. You got to. You got to text her. We text need her to know, after this guys. and say because she she brings you up and she says I kind of don't want to tell anyone, but Cece tells me I need to. She has to tell us if this yep. is it. I yep. feel like she's gonna try to run out on us, bro. Like she she can't do that. <laughs> she can't do that. <laughs> you gotta tell her. You gotta tell her. I'm definitely her, man. gonna text her after this. Yeah, text her after this and say, hey, you gotta let us know if it's if it's your last year. For sure. Because as of now, she's still saying she's undecided. Ah. So you, you gotta let her know. Uh, so without um further ado, here is Rebecca Lobo making her R2C2 debut. <laughs> all right rebecca we just dive in so boom magic started since we put the intro in on later <laughs> i do feel like this is it, it's funny because i was thinking about this i think i've probably done more 
play-by-play broadcasts with you than any other partner in my career. I really? it has to, I think so because we do let's say we do on average 20 WNBA games a year, right? Like even if I do I mean, I, and we've done, this is going to be our ninth season together. That's a long time. I don't think I've had anyone who I've done that many games with each year for that period of time. So I'm saying it, CC, the only person who I've maybe done now more broadcasts with than you is Rebecca Lobo. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And we both survived. Right. <laughs> the, well, then Ryan, that would mean that that same here. Then you, I would not have done any more broadcasts with anyone other than Ryan Rucco. That's why we're like the work couple. That's right. <laughs> we are. It's true. It's so funny too because you have like, see, we'll be. It's been different during COVID because we haven't traveled as much. But if you picture like uh, WNBA finals and we're in Minnesota for five days. It's like Rebecca and I are going on runs together every morning. Yeah. <laughs> like what? What broadcast good teammates, partnership? Good teammates. Yeah, right, exactly. What broadcast partnership does that? You know. I mean, we, it really is unique, especially once we started having the years where our, the the producers and everybody was were back in Bristol, and so it was only you and me. We were the yeah. only two. We're staying in the hotel. We're what time are we running in the morning, hun? And then we go out for our runs. We would have all of our meals together. And um, yeah. it, and it was pretty remarkable because I'm like, you know what, Ryan? This is good. We're not sick of each other yet. Like we're <laughs> spending a lot of time together. Like I've been through, you know, I, I, now I've I've been through since you've known Andrea and been married, but mm-hmm. I was through the previous iterations of your single life, <laughs> like, like sort of, you know, like big sisters slash therapist slash whatever, <laughs> yeah. like. Like, that's been my role and broadcast partner with my with my good friend Ryan. <laughs> it's so I love funny. that she's been there for all the relationships before. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. Like it, it is funny. You know, I don't know why, but this always stands out to me. Like when Mike and the Mad Dog were breaking up, and I grew up listening to them on WFAN, WFAN six sixty AM uh, on on radio in New York. And it was like, I would listen to them for as close to five and a half hours a day as I could with school getting in the way. And when they were breaking up, I remember Chris talking about like, you know, I, I knew you before you married. I knew you before you had your kids or whatever. And he was like emotional about it. And it's funny. I, I'm not emotional about it in this context, Rebecca, as we talk about it. But I was just, for some reason, that always stands with me how like you can have these work relationships where you develop great friendships and you see very closely somebody go through these life changes of knowing them when, you know, like I was even thinking about this, like seeing we did a game in, I want to say Indianapolis when you took Thomas to the star Wars exhibit, right? Like, so like me and you see, uh, Rebecca's son, Thomas, who's now, what is he? 12 now? 12. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, I get, think, like four at the time. We were in Indianapolis. He's a diehard Star Wars fan. And so, and I'm thinking about this little boy and seeing you guys walk off to the museum. Now he's like, you know, future NFL tight end. Seeing him like <laughs> this, is, this dominant force is crazy. Well, what's 
funny too, and I'm sure Cece can relate to this because it's the same as in sports, um, especially before this year, because now, Ryan, we're together in the wintertime too, doing women's college basketball. But before you were the voice of women's college basketball, it was WNBA. And we would spend all this time together from May through September or October, especially in the playoffs of the WNBA, September and October, where we're together all the time. Like we just talked about, we're running together and eating meals together. And then the season would be over. And even though like I consider us close friends, we might text occasionally, but then we wouldn't see each other until the following WNBA draft in April. And that's the way it was when I was playing too. Like you, we would be together all summer long in the WNBA, living with your, your teammates, like on the road together, rooming together, like intense, strong friendships. And then everybody would go their own way when the season was over. Many women would go overseas and you wouldn't see or talk to them, even though they're still like your good, close friends until the next season started. Like, was it, would, it, would it be that same way for you, see? Like when you're in your off season, you're kind of like with your family doing your own thing. And then, oh, new season's here. We're, we're back together again. Yeah, like right, right, right at the beginning, when spring training was starting to kick up, then I started texting all the guys again, like just checking in with the guys. But you're right, like during the season, like you're with guys every day and you become family and then, as soon as the season's over, it's like, all right, well, I'll see you in spring training. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, everybody goes, through, does their own thing. And, like, I live right here across the bridge from, I mean, right across the bridge from Yankee Stadium. But I might as well be across the ocean because you can't get me on the phone. You can't get me to come down there. <laughs> the off season is the off season. Don't call me for nothing. I'll see you guys in Tampa. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it's always like that. But even just thinking about, you know, watching teammates grow up, like, like Phil Hughes, like when I first came to the, to the Yankees, he was young, bachelor guy. Like, now he's grown up. He's got a kid. He's married. Like, moved out of his parents' house. So it's like, it's weird to watch guys grow up and, like, you know, be that older big brother or big sister to him. It's a lot of fun, for sure. And, and you guys both, I just realized this, you both have four kids. Each oh. of you are parents of four. Yeah. So what what what's the biggest, di- like, when you see people who are, like, Oh, yeah, you know, it's so tough. And they have one or two. Do you guys just roll your eyes? You say like, oh, really? Oh, Rebecca, do you? Uh, You know, a little bit. Like, I I have this conversation with a couple of my friends because I have two really close friends and they have five kids. And um, and like we, we, you know, we all feel very fortunate that we were able to have a big family. Um, but yeah, when you, when you hear, especially if it's parents of one or two, and they're talking about the challenges of getting their kid to this activity or that activity <laughs> or, or how, how hard it is for them to, to split up the responsibilities. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> like I've got that today. My, my oldest is 16, but doesn't have a license yet. And I've got uh. four, four kids with four uh, different sports practices in four different places. And it's like, so my husband's somewhere, I'm going to be somewhere. You got to call the friends to help out with this or that. So yeah. So, so like the challenges, the logistical challenges (laughs) when you have that many kids who can't drive is it's, it's a thing. (laughs) That's what it is. But this is the hardest year. This is the last year. Once the oldest gets their license, it's just a game changer. Like Karsten, my 17 year old has his license and it's, it's like opens him up. Like you can take Carter to practice our youngest. He's 10. He takes him to practice. He takes Saya to dance. He picks up food. Like, it's like having an extra adult in the house. So it's <laughs> lovely. Like, we, I mean, it's so much fun now having grown, like, our kids are grown and older. Like, we can go to dinner, leave them here. We can literally go on a trip probably and leave them, leave their asses here and be fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, 17-year-old, he's damn near an adult. So it's it was challenging. I mean, obviously, I was playing, and I'm sure my wife dealt with more than I, than I dealt with, but 
it was challenging when they were younger, but now having them, you know, be older and be able to fend for themselves for the most part, like, it's it's fun. Like, I love having four kids that, you know, are old enough to take care of themselves. <laughs> See, the thing for me is I may never cook again because the only thing that keeps me from ordering out a lot is, oh, but then I got to leave the house and go pick it up. <laughs> so once my daughter has her license and she can go pick up food and she'll be like eager to drive anywhere. It just mm-hmm. might be like, where are we ordering from tonight? <laughs> Literally get the text from Little C. You guys want something from Chick-fil-A? You guys want from Burger King? Like it's every night he's picking up food. Like they love it. So it's great. He he's now employed by the Sabathia parents. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Actually, you know what's funny? Your ages probably are not that far off. Cause let's see. See, you have what do you have? 17, uh, 15, s- 13, 11? 17, 15, 12, and 10. 12 and 10. 12 okay. and 10. Yeah. And Rebecca, you have 16, 14, 12, and 10? That's right. Yeah. 16, 14, 12, and 10. How oh, about yeah, that? Yeah. That's- that's pretty close. That's amazing, actually. Boys and girls. You got boys and girls? or I've got, I go girl, girl, boy, and girl. Okay. So I go boy, girl, girl, boy. So two boys, two girls. All right. So let me ask you this, because I need some um, help parenting advice on this. And then you'll have to <laughs> tell me if, if this has happened to you. So I can remember my oldest, my 16-year-old doesn't play basketball anymore, but she played like when she was in elementary, middle school, she played up through her freshman year in high school. And I was coaching her. I think she was in seventh grade and I'm watching a game and um, this, she comes down like for a layup or something and gets her shot blocked. No, no big deal. Not not a, you know, not a monster block, not just a kind of a regular basketball play. And when it happened, I just remember like a bunch of the parents on the other team, like whoa, like cheering a little too hard. And it took me a second to realize, oh, wait a minute. They're cheering because my kid got blocked by their kid. Like they're getting a little too into it. Like, because my kid just got blocked. Like as a parent, what was it like for you? What were some of the experiences that you had? um, And did you have anything like that where people were a little bit too crazy because it was your kid that, that they were able to do something against? That happened last week, literally last week. Like let us see. They're, they're playing. Lil C's playing. He plays first base. He's a, he's a hitter. He's a big right-handed hitter. And he, his first at-bat, he got a base hit um, up the middle, couple RBIs, whatever. Um, and then his next at-bat, he comes up with runners in scoring position again. You know, it's, it's a big spot. Um, and he gets out. And, like, the people are going bananas. Like, it's the end of the game. But then they're looking at me. Like, motherfucker, you didn't get me out. Like, you got my son out. Like, don't cheer at me. Like, if you want me to go hit, let me go hit. I'll take your son way the fuck back. You know what I'm saying? Like, that shit pisses me off. I get really upset because, like, don't, like, don't extra cheer. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's only because of us. So, like, yeah, no, I mean, I get really, really mad. Like, and and then I start cheering extra, extra loud for the other kids because I never cheer for my son. Like, when he comes up, I'm never, I'm never saying, hey, let's go see whatever. I always cheer for the other kids. So during that game, I got extra loud, like super loud talk for the other kids and stealing bags. And then so now I'm now I'm a super fan. You know what I'm saying? And I can talk baseball over anybody. So, yeah. yeah so now you got me engaged. So when that happens, I, I go crazy. It's the, isn't that the worst? Because like you're trying to behave. You're trying to behave. You're like, yeah, I'm the one and I'm here watching my son play baseball, but I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to cheer for everybody else, but then they go and they poke the bear and you're like, he's 17. He's 17. That's how I was at the 12. I'm like, 
She's twelve. She's twelve. Like, like, like let's, <laughs> let's settle down a little and bit. And that's <laughs> even why he, he stopped pitching because he liked to pitch and he really enjoyed pitching when he was a kid. And I remember I went to one of his games. He was ten years old, and he got on the mound to warm up. And and a parent on the other side was like, "Oh, I thought he'd be throwing harder than that." Guess what? My big ass did. Got out of my chair, walked all the way around to the other side, and confronted the dude right in his face. The kid's 10 fucking years old. Get off his back. You want me to face you? Get get a fucking bat. I'll get I'll get a ball. You want to face me? Like, the fuck out of here, buddy. Like, you're not going to bully my kid, cuz. Like, stop it. I'm super protective of my family. My wife, my kids, my mom. Like, I'll go crazy. And Brian knows I'm, I'm a little off. So, yeah, I'll go crazy. Where and when is your son's next game? Because I got to come watch this. Hey, You should see me at basketball games. At basketball games, it's even worse. Like, the referees and, oh, man, I go crazy. I love oh, it, though. I'm a, I'm a sports gosh. fan. <laughs> there's there's nothing quite like there's just nothing quite like watching your own kid um it just you know even w- whether they're having success or not having success my my 14 year old is playing softball right now <laughs> and i was telling someone the other day she gets a lot of strikeouts and she's not a pitcher but that's okay <laughs> that's okay like i just I, you know i just love whether it's softball or tennis or soccer or basketball yep. there's just this in uh, ryan you're gonna know soon enough there's yeah. just like this incredible joy you get um, from watching your kids, their successes and failures. It's just, it, there's nothing like it. And yeah. My, my youngest, we call him Randy Johnson because he, because he gets so many strikeouts, but he plays second base. So <laughs> he's, striking, he's striking out every at bat, but I love it though. And he wants to get out there. He wants to play. He's really out there for the social. Like he wants to be friends, you know, hang out with his buddies and you know, maybe if they win a game then it's okay, but he's there Saturday mornings to hang out with his friends and I love it. I mean, I'm all for it. That's yeah. so great. Uh, I love that. I am excited for that. I'm so excited for that part of the journey. See, do both? I forget. Does Sia and Jaden both play basketball, or does uh, Jaden plays basketball? She, she's on the JV team at her high school, and then Sia is a dancer. Got she's, you. Okay, because uh, I remember. I remember you telling a you telling me about um, Jaden. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in advance of the Caitlin Clark Page Becker's Sweet 16 game which Rebecca and I called at the NCAA tournament, Jaden coming up to you and kind of showing you like, hey, yo, you got to check out like these two you freshmen. They're unbelievable. They're going to be playing yeah, against each came, other. She came to me and was like, dad, I want to watch this game. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah. dad, we need to watch this game. And it was the, yeah. it was the, uh, the UConn game. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So it's like, she's getting into it. Like she, she never ever before would pay attention or, you know, why she loves the play. She's super aggressive, but she would yeah. never watch it on TV. Yeah. But the fact that, like, you know, that caught her attention, I had to sit down and watch it with her. Like, it was it was awesome. And, you know, just to get her engaged in the game and having conversations, different things that I could show her, like, see on the court right here if you do this or, you know, put your body on, <laughs> you might be able to get the rebound, like different things like that. Just helps strengthen our relationship, you know? Yeah. I think, Rebecca, I think that game was one that, you know, we, you and I have seen a lot of um, different moments, I think, over the last nine years doing these games together that we've seen really, you know, tangible marks of progress and the popularity of the sport and of people realizing, you know, how entertaining the game is and how competitive it is and and how elite these athletes are and why it's an easy decision to watch. But I think that that game was one, if you told me what are those sort of benchmark games that we could look at and say, that was a game where you could feel an actual shift in momentum or, 
a, an acceleration of interest, or we might look back and say, hey, that was one of those staple games that helped to jolt more popularity for the sport. That felt like one of those games to me. Did it feel that way to you? Definitely. And I think one of the things that was unique about it is it's not very often on the college level that you have a women's game where you say you have to watch this player against this player. There might be two teams like you have to watch UConn, Tennessee. You have to watch UConn, Notre Dame. But it's not usually you've got to watch this kid and this kid. You'll see that in the WNBA, you know, like if Sue and Diana play against each other or if Candace Parker is going to match up against whoever from the Minnesota Lynx. Yes. But we don't have that very much on the women's side uh, in college. And, um, and we did this year and the exciting thing is they're both freshmen. And so we might, (laughs) you know, get to experience this time and time again. And it just felt like it was something special and something that's going to build into something special. Um, and just like, you know, Ryan, you, you and I have been feeling it for the past, you know, couple of years, like the WNBA is on the verge. Um, you know, it's their 25th anniversary this year. And it just feels like it's on the verge of becoming a little bit more popular when it comes to mainstream fans. Do you think that, like, in college, because a lot of the good players, like, they'll play on the same team? So, like, Diana and Sue couldn't play against each other because, you know what I mean? Like, a, lo- a lot of the best players are going to the Yukons or Tennessees or Notre Dames or, like, I would have loved to see, like, Azzy Fudd go to South Carolina to play against some of these guys. You know what I mean? Instead mm. of teaming up, I mean, I know she's going to be really, really good. I'm excited to see her play. So, do uh, you think that's why we don't get those, those matchups? Because some of the uh, best players are always on some of the, you know, on the same teams? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a part of it. I think one of the nice things now is that there's a lot more really good players. Um, so that you know, it used to be all right. Maybe there's five or six, not even great players in this class, and they're either going to go to UConn or South Carolina or Notre Dame or Tennessee. And so that would happen. But now you have, you know, like Kennedy Carter a couple of years ago at Texas A&M or, um, you know, Angel McCautry, even though that was a lot of years ago at Louisville. You have you have a little bit more of the dispersal of talent just because there's a lot more talent coming out of high school. Why is there more talent coming out of high school? Is, is some of that the WNBA effect? I think a lot of it is the WNBA. A lot of it is, you know, like when I was coming out of high school, um, there was a handful of women's games on college every year, usually the final four in the national championship. There wasn't like this whole bunch of games on ESPN every week. So you didn't get to see it. You didn't see And, and even then you, you only saw what the best women's college player looked like because there was no WNBA. So now this this group of players has grown up since the moment they were born. There's been a professional league here in the summertime. They can turn on the TV and say, wow, that's what the best player in the world looks like. That's what really high level basketball looks like. And so I think you get more really good athletes playing. I think they're getting a lot better um, because they're more invested in it. Just a direct result of the WNBA's, you know, being in existence for the last 25 years. Absolutely. I could turn on the TV on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning and, and see somebody that looks like them. You know, you can yes. see that. You can see it. You know, if you can see it, then it becomes a real dream. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why we're pumped. But this year we got our regular season slate expanded. We're going to have 25 regular season games on ESPN or ABC. And then we'll have every single playoff game on ESPN or ABC. Rebecca and I will be uh, doing Seattle against Vegas on Saturday at 3 Eastern on ABC. Um, I just ordered my Super jersey. Did you? Hopefully hopefully it'll be here by Saturday. Oh, nice, man. Yeah, you got to wear it and post it. It, Yeah, of course. You know I will. You know what? I I think, too, one of the things that's encouraging to me, and Rebecca, you know, you could speak on this. Like, to me, Kathy Engelbert as commissioner, I think she really gets all aspects of the picture 
and how to grow things and, and every sort of opportunity there is when it comes to business partnerships, when it comes to merchandising, when it comes to social media, all of that. She's just so friggin' smart and so invested in this league growing and understanding what an opportunity it is. And I think about it even like the jerseys, right? Like they're, the new merchandise gets people excited. It, it also is very social media friendly. It can hit a lot of eyeballs in a hurry. And for me, seeing the jerseys, like I went on just to see some of the new jerseys that came out right after they did, and they were sold out so quickly. And I was like, that's great. You know, like that's that's a sign. Now, maybe we also need to order more guys, but like that's a sign of like, hey, things are, you know, moving in the right direction. And Rebecca, that was the kind of thing that, you know, I feel like the league didn't take advantage of for years. You know, that 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 probably has been a little too stagnant. Now it's an area of like, hey, why not? Like this drives interest. You know, this drives sales. This is something that makes us also feel like cool and hip to our brand. Like, let's do it. Yeah, I think the league's gotten a lot smarter in that regard. And to your point, Ryan, like that was intentional. That was intentional by Nike in the league when they first released the jerseys to have them be in a limited quantity mm. because they, you know, everybody wants the, everybody wants the shoes that are hard to get. Yeah. And so that's what it was with the jerseys early on. That was a completely intentional thing. But now, like the other day, I was going to my local Dick's Sporting Goods and I, I went, there's a whole section with, because yeah. I live in Connecticut, of Connecticut Sun jerseys and the bet on women t-shirts. You would never see that in the past. And not only do they have the jerseys, like you said, with the new jerseys, they're really good looking. Uh, you know, I think things kind of changed in a way last year, the year before when you had the orange hoodie, you know, you had Kobe wearing the orange hoodie. And then you had all of the guys in the NBA bubble last year where it became a really cool thing to wear. I've got friends getting them for their kids and they don't even really watch the WNBA, but they know it's like a cool thing to wear. And I think a lot of that stems from Kathy. Like she just gets it. She knows how to sell the league. You and I have been calling these games for a long time. The product has been phenomenal. I mean, think back to the, to the final series between LA and Minnesota. It wasn't getting much better than that. Um, and now they've kind of figured out how to elevate their marketing game to the level of the game that's happening on the court. Yeah, that was another that was sort of the the next piece, if you will, because the basketball has gotten has gotten so good. Rebecca, how about when you were because you're really one of the you know pioneers when it comes to women's basketball, when it comes to the WNBA, you think about, you know, you're one of those first three players that, you know, was placed on a franchise to try and grow this league. And, you know, now we're in the 25th season when you were in high school. I don't think I've ever actually asked you this, which is funny after all the meals and jogs we've gone on. But what, what, what did you like? What was your vision for what your basketball career would look like? Like for me, I, I had hoped to play in college, get a college scholarship. And then it was going to be my plan that I'd laid out. And this was all the way through my senior year because there was no WNBA, even my senior year in college. My plan was to go overseas, Italy, Spain, Japan play for a couple of years, earn, earn money, and then come back and like go to law school or grad school or something like that. Like there was no long-term plan to play overseas. Um, mm. The money wasn't like it is now, you know, there weren't, there weren't contracts like you're getting in China or Russia now where you're making huge money. It was, you know, you'd make maybe six figures, maybe high five figures. You'd earn money while you're over there and then come back and move on to your next phase of life. So um, I'm just really lucky that like 
things lined up the way they did. I graduate 95 Olympics, 96 W starts 97. And I never had to go overseas, it, but it was, I mean, to think about that now, yeah. <laughs> it was like a whole, like a whole world ago. Do, what about Gino and recruiting you? Like, because, you know, UConn was, was just getting started when you got there. They hadn't won a national championship. Yeah. They went to one final four before you got there, Rebecca. Yep. Is that right? Okay. Yep. They went to one final four um, before, uh, you know, before you got there. What, what was Gino's recruiting pitch like? What do you remember that now that he's, you know, the legend that he is? It, well, it's funny. It's like, he didn't have a pitch, you know, even when he would call and, and, and I'd talk to him on the phone, like we would just talk about stuff. It wasn't even about, you know, me asking questions about UConn or me asking questions about what kind of player you're going to make me or any of that stuff. He would just call and we would talk, we'd, you know, shoot the shit about whatever. And, um, and it's funny because I was actually just telling the story to somebody the other day. Um, my, like I grew up in Massachusetts, but my parents were teachers in Connecticut and 25 years ago, UConn, UConn's academic reputation now is really good. It wasn't quite that 25 years ago. So for my parents as teachers, they were like, UConn's a safety school. Like mm-hmm. people go there when they can't get in the other places. So Rebecca, mm-hmm. you are not going there. <laughs> you, you know, like I was looking at Stanford and Notre Dame and Virginia, like schools that had a little bit better academic reputation. So my parents did not want me to go there. And even though it was the only school I was looking at that was, you know, within driving distance. And, um, but I wanted to play for him. Like Ryan, you've been around him enough. You know, there's this genuineness about him. He's very real. He's very personable. Um, Like having a, a good relationship with my coach was important to me. He could make me laugh almost more importantly, he would laugh when I said stuff. <laughs> he knew I was funny. <laughs> and, um, and so I really wanted to play for him. And it was, it was hard because um, my, my, when he came to my, for my home visit, um, my mom actually said to him, she's like, Gino, you know, we, the kids who go that we send to UConn from my school, it's a safety school. Like, why should we send Rebecca there? <laughs> and I remember just being like, oh my gosh. And, uh, and, and, but I knew I wanted to play for him. Like it was the absolute driving force and he's, he's really hard and he's really demanding, but he's also real. And, mm. um, and that's what I wanted. And it's why he's had so much success. Like people want to play for him for a good reason. Like there's not many personalities like him. He's a great coach, of course, but there's that interpersonal piece is really important. And um, I'm sure you hear, you know, if you talk to any of his former players, you're going to hear a similar story. You said those, uh, you said Notre Dame and Stanford. What were your, like your top three at the time? Um, if it- uh, Virginia was w- one of the top. Um, and then I, I went to North, visited Northwestern. Notre Dame was up there and probably UConn. Yeah. Okay. So it was, uh, <laughs> so when, and, and when all, you, and all when those you, other schools had been to a final four, well, at least yeah. Stanford had and Virginia yeah, had, Virginia um, had, yeah. Virginia had, yeah. 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 When, Cause that was, you know, when I, when I took my visit to Virginia, um, Don Staley was there as a player, uh, Tammy Reese was there, the Burge twins, like this was right in the middle of them going to all their final fours. Um, and when I committed to UConn, I was like, I want to help UConn get somewhere they've never been before. And then that was the fall of my senior year. And then the spring of my senior year, they go to their first final four. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I won't help them do that for the first time, but uh, <laughs> maybe something else. Well, you helped them win their first national championship. That's right. In That's right. 95. What, Rebecca, what was the final conversation like with your parents then when you said like, this is where I want to go? 
Yeah, I just said to him, I said, like, I re- I really want to go there. I really want to play for him. This is like what my heart is telling me. I've prayed on this. Like, I just know it's the right decision for me. And I give my mom and dad a lot of credit because they said, all right, if it's the right decision for you, then, um, then it's the right decision. So, uh, you know, they could have put their feet down and said, no, we're not letting you go there. And I would have been stuck, but instead, um, they trusted me. And my mom had said many times after that, <laughs> and my dad still does like, yeah, it was a pretty good decision. <laughs> <laughs> but kudos to them for letting you make that decision because those other schools are great academic schools and then being teachers. They could have easily said, nah, you're going to Northwestern. You know what I'm saying? Or like, yeah. whatever, and you, easily. And you know, like, as a parent, you're trying to, like, get your kids to the place where you know they're going to make the right decision. And sometimes you know they're making the wrong one. Mm-hmm. And you still have to, like, let them make it. But that's a big decision to let your kids kind of go against <laughs> what you want them to do, for sure. Yeah. See, you're probably experiencing this on some level right now when it comes to Lil C and, you know, looking at schools and that, right? Because he's... He's going to be a, a senior. Yeah, he's going to be a senior. He's getting heavily recruited by. So like Harvard calls all the time. And and for me, that's where I want him to go. <laughs> for him, he wants to go play in the SEC, obviously, or the <laughs> ACC or somewhere where baseball is first. But for me, I know what Harvard can do for him after baseball and, you know, sitting in a position where he could be running a team and not be a special assistant, you know, after he's done playing. So, um, but yeah, I'm gonna let him make his own decision. Like I've stepped, I've, I've completely stepped out of it. Like I don't even ask him who's called. I don't ask anything. I'm gonna let him make his own decision and 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 rock with it. He's mature enough, and you know he thought he talks through things with with my with my with his mom and and me, and and I'm gonna let him. I'm gonna let him make his own decision. How is it for you after you've watched him play? Like, do you? give him advice if you see him, you know, or do you kind of step back and let yourself be a parent? Like, how do you handle your post-game conversations with your son? I just step back and be a friend. Like, I'm, I'm more of his friend than I am the dad as far as baseball goes. Um, and I'll let him bring it to me. So, like, after a game, I'll just be like, yo, good game. Walk to the car. If he don't say nothing, I won't say nothing. If we get home and he's talking, he's at dinner, he's like, man, you know, that at bat, blah, blah, blah. Then I'll get into it. But I don't ever like go at him with stuff. I'll let him bring stuff to me and then, you know, we, we have conversations. But most of the time it's all like mental stuff. It's like, you know, what should I be thinking here? What should I be doing here? And and different things like that. So it's all fun conversation, but I just let him kind of bring it to me instead of like always like constantly drilling him about things, you know? You just you the same way or you or you go right Yeah, no, like I because I, I when my kids up until they get to high school, I tend to coach them. Like mm-hmm. I am their coach. But I feel like once we get in the car, that's done, right? Like if they have a question for me, but they almost never do, other than like, can, can we get some dinner? <laughs> and, are you harder? I, th- are you harder on them than all the other kids at practice, or do you demand more from them? Um, probably, but not intentionally. But what's funny, and it's happened with each one of my kids, is they won't listen to me. So usually I'll have to say like to the assistant coach, um, you know, can you please tell her, can you please tell him they need to do this? Cause they don't want to hear it from me. Mm -hmm. And, um, like when my, when my oldest was still playing and she was like, I think sixth or seventh grade. And, um, she was playing on her school team for me. And then she was playing on a travel team with a different coach. And one day we're out in the driveway and she's like, mom, let me show you this move that coach D taught me. And so it was a post move. 
And she's like, just doing it, this drop step. And I drop step. And I said, all right, well, that looks good. But what you really should do, <laughs> it's like, take a step in a low power dribble and go up. And she's like, yeah, but coach D told me this way. And I'm like, yeah, but this is the post that like, I'm trying to tell her and, and coach D I said, fine. Finally, I said, coach D is a five, seven orthodontist. <laughs> you need to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but like it's so funny because you know because they don't want they don't want to it's the and same it, it's the same with me same thing like it, a little c had this toe tap in his swing like he was tapping his toe and i'm like yo you're late like you can't do that and be on time and hit the ball and he was getting out getting out and and prince fielder texted me and was like yo tell little c to stop doing the toe tap i was like no you call him and tell him to stop so i sent him the number he, he called him. He stopped the next day. I'm like, yo, I've been telling you this for three months to stop oh. doing this. Prince yeah, calls you one time, and now the toe tap is gone. Like, it's crazy, man. It's almost like, I, I don't know. It's almost like we never played anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, just be a mom or a dad and then, you know, let the other coaches <laughs> handle it. Like, it's crazy. It's so funny, too, because especially, like, even my 10-year-old, you know, we'll be doing something, and she'll say, if you wanted to, could you text Sue Bird? And I'm like, yeah, I could probably, I could probably text Sue Bird if I wanted to. And then she went, could you text Chenea Gwumike? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, those are the things that impress my kids is whether or not I have the, the phone number for a player who's currently in the league. <laughs> that is awesome. Do, do oh you, do you show them all your old clips and stuff and like old videos if you plan? No, no, I haven't. First of all, they're hard to find because they're like VHS. <laughs> but I'm sure they can look them up on YouTube. I'm sure the kids look like fine. Yeah. Them. You know, I don't I don't know that they ever have on their own. And I, I'm sure if I showed them to them, they would just look at me like, Ma, you're pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've got no interest. <laughs> Re- Rebecca, what do you think, like looking at the league um, this year, in the 25th season compared to when you started, what's the thing that strikes you most about where the WNBA is today compared to where it was? Level of play. Like it's so much better now than it was. And and remember the first two years of the WNBA, there was also the ABL, which was another professional league. So a lot of the great players were playing there. All the best talent wasn't in the WNBA until I think 1999 was after the ABL folded and everybody came in. Um, but it's just, it's, it's elevated. It's, there's a lot more great players. There were great players in my day. There's just a lot more of them. Now there's a lot more really good players. The coaches are a lot better because back in those days, all the coaches were coming out of the college game. And now the coaches have come from the pro game or were pro players themselves and are now coaching, um, in the WNBA. So that's the area that, um, that has really grown. What's kind of interesting is that, um, is that on the marketing side, like back in my day, like the whole We Got Next campaign was huge. The NBA marketed the WNBA in a really big way. And I think we're starting to see that again now, but there was a stretch of time as my husband's walking around in the background. Hi, Steve. <laughs> Hi, Steve. <laughs> there was a stretch of time where like, you know, the, the NBA wasn't like forcefully marketing the WNBA like it was in the early days. Um, but I think we've gotten back to the point where they're really pushing it because, you know, as we said earlier, the product on the court is so, so good. I, I think I texted you a couple of years ago, Ryan. We had just come from calling a great WNBA finals. It was the Washington Mystics and the Connecticut Sun five game series. This was right on the heels of, 
of, I think the year before where we had um, Seattle and Phoenix playing in uh, the semifinals. I remember that one. Epic, epic semifinals. So like just great, great basketball. And I come home and it's like the following week and no offense, but I'm watching a Brooklyn Nets preseason game. (laughs) And I remember being like, this is trash compared to the WNBA finals. <laughs> like it's it's so good, and of course, you know, finals versus preseason. But yeah. like, if people would do that, if they'd watch the WNBA finals and watch NBA, they'd be like, you know what? There's something about the the WNBA that's really special. <laughs> it, it is the quality is so great. This is what like look. I have a lot of people who in my life. Um, you know, obviously got into it because they had a vested interest, me calling the games. But then they just became fans of the sport and they're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And I even, I think my family was even able to appreciate it watching some of the college games I called this year compared to the W. And they're mm-hmm. like, now the play elevated a lot at the college level in the tournament and it was the, fantastic. The, the tournament this but, year, uh, the co- the women's college tournament, the level of play was the highest I've ever seen it. it, it like, was I'm amazing. not even trying to be funny. It was it was amazing. Like all the games were competitive. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was a it was a real tournament. Like yeah. it was it was insane. It was a it lot of fun. It wasn't just two or three teams that it was no, a fan of company they're going. It really wasn't. Yeah. It was yeah. it was 12 teams that could have won, you know? And that's you know that's very rare in any in any uh, NCAA tournament. Yes, no, no doubt. It it was incredible, and I think that it, it was funny because my family, who had watched the beginning of the season of the women's college season, and and then the end, they were like, when they watched the tournament, they're like, oh, "Okay, this reminds us a little more of like the caliber we're used to with the WNBA." And it did two things, right? It made them appreciate the great collegiate teams and players who got to that point, but it also made them sort of reaffirm what they already felt watching the WNBA about how how high of caliber basketball it is. And something I also pointed out, Richard Deitch just had us do a thing. It might be out today in The Athletic kind of asking us. I think you did it as well, right, Rebecca? Like, uh, oh, you didn't answer yet? Okay, got you. I was supposed to. That was just a ooh. Well, maybe you could write that email after this. He was asking us questions about the WNBA season, different questions, and you know, he was saying at the end, is there one thing you'd want people to know that they don't know? And I and I said, yes, that this is the hardest professional league to make in the United States. There are only 12 teams and there are only 12 roster spots per team. And now this year, I don't know what it's up to, Rebecca, but eight or nine of the teams are only using 11 roster spots because of salary cap restrictions. Now think about a growing pool of talented players who have grown up for decades now watching an example of professional women's basketball knowing that's on the table for them how that's grown the pool as rebecca documented earlier but only having a limited amount of spots in the pro game and we can debate whether or not that means there should be expansion at some point but what it means is the quality of team is going to rise exponentially because the talent pool has grown exponentially but the roster spots have not. So there's, you know, there's only but so many spots for these incredible women to play on. And because of that, I mean, every team is really good. And it makes it, I mean, it makes it a great watch. It really does. And and what I say too, Rebecca, is I'm like, you know, some people I think they want to initially watch because they want to support these women. You know, maybe, maybe they're fond of the way these women use their voices when it comes to social justice. Maybe they just want to be supportive of women when it comes to professional sports. Um, maybe they're trying to help as far as gender equality. 
And I, and I always say, that's great if that gets you in the door. But do understand this. The reason you're going to stay isn't because you're doing something trying to warm the heart or because you know you feel like you want to be a part of a movement. It's because yeah. the product is great. Once you're there, say, the product is great. And that's that, why you're going to stay. That was 10, 15 years ago. Like right. People are watching the WNBA now because the girls are, are good basketball. The women are good basketball players. You know, like, And you have crossover stars. You got Sue Bird that has just as many male fans as she has female fans. You have T. Cooper. Like, you have women that have just as many male fans as they have female fans in the W now, which is, I think, is a huge thing because you have stars that can cross over. I mean, um, Maya Moore, huge star and, you know, was missing from the game this year. Renee Montgomery is it's a bunch of uh, of women that have fans on both sides of, of the fence. So it's, it's awesome to see. And I think the interesting thing, too, is not just like expanding the pool of sports fans, but like stepping over that line when it comes to culture, too. You know, uh, yeah. Taya Cooper with over a million Instagram followers, you know, they want to see her style. They want to see what she's wearing. You know, people now, it's not just, you know, NBA league fits. You want to see what the women are wearing. What, 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 what are, what does their shoe game look like? Like it's expanded. And, and that's been something we've noticed a lot more in, over the course of what, Rye, maybe two years. Yeah. And that's why it feels like it's on the verge of really exploding in popularity because while the play on the court has been stellar, stellar for the last, however many years, there's the other pieces that are coming together that make are making it feel a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger where you're going to get more eyes on it. Um, because I saw an Instagram live that Taya Cooper yeah. did, and it, it's it made me a little bit more interested in the WNBA. Let me check this out. Yeah, right. It hooks you. There's a storyline that hooks you. How about or even, or even telling the stories before they get to college? Like, like I keep, you know, I, I, keep, yeah. I bring up Azzy Fudd, but like she's yeah. going to be a household name come next year when she's at UConn, but everybody already knows, you know, if you watch basketball, you know her name and you, and she's going to be a, a huge superstar. So start telling the stories now. You, we see the eighth grader that's the best eighth grader in the in the 2029 class. Like yeah. let's see the best the women's, you know, basketball player that's the best from the 2029 class. Like let's elevate everybody and 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 bring all basketball to to you know to the level of of where the WNBA, I mean where the NBA is at. Yeah, that's that's so true. See, it's growing. We saw that with Paige Beckers this year too. She came in with this big following and I think that, you know, that helped drive the interest and and then next year, right, it's going to be, again, with Caitlin Clark and Paige, and you're going to see, okay, these freshmen, what do they do in their sophomore years? And you, and you can follow them through into their pro careers. And I also think even, like, a woman like Aaliyah Boston, right, who, like, she's a, she's a fantastic player. South Carolina could be maybe the favorites to win the national championship next year. They'll be one of the two or three favorites. And that moment of her missing the little, you know, the little bunny, that, that would have sent them to the national championship game and seeing her immediately overcome with emotion that connects people to her. Now let's like, let's follow her. Let's see her next step of the journey. And we'll continue to follow and document her through the pros. And I do hope that having these different avenues to follow these athletes helps then to drive the eyeballs to the court throughout their entire journeys. And then into the WNBA as well. Um, Rebecca, I you know I wanted to ask you about like any like big storylines you're looking forward to with the W this season, but like I just wanted to also ask you in the case of Iowa and UConn when it comes to Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers, if they see like oh you know we got almost two million viewers for a Sweet 16 game that is not normal um, for you know two schools that didn't have some sort of rivalry history, 
Uh, this is a big matchup. These women are going to be here for at least a couple more years. We need to, for the good of the game, we need to continue to grow this. Do, do you think the schools think that way and try and get a matchup on the calendar because of it for their schedules? Yeah, especially if it's brokered by TV. I think that they, they think that way. The hard part is you don't do your schedule generally. You don't do your schedule now for next year. You're doing your schedule now for two years from now. Um, But especially if it's brokered by TV and there might be some TV exposure involved or even TV money involved. um, I think certainly there are people from ESPN have to be reaching out. People from Fox, because UConn's a big East school, have to be reaching out, trying to broker that. And that's where Carol Stiff, who's one of our colleagues at ESPN, what she's done for the last 30 years is mm-hmm. like made those made for TV matchups that, you know, are going to rate well. Um, but I'm hoping they got to get, they got to get at least two more a home and home uh, series going between UConn and Iowa. I feel like they could make something up where it's a big East, big 10 challenge again. You know, that's they, I feel like yeah. they made that up in, in the, in the men's game. It's just, just those two schools. It's just those two schools. <laughs> so big East, big 10 challenge, but it's just these, these two schools. <laughs> I would love that. That would be great. How about, how about the season, Rebecca? What, what are, a, you know, what are some of the storylines you're most looking forward to uh, when we tip off the season uh, this weekend and and you and I are on the back half of a doubleheader on ABC uh, Saturday? Well, first of all, one of the teams that we're doing, Las Vegas, you know, Elizabeth Cambage, their six and hind center, didn't play last year, but she's back. One of the most imposing players in the world. Asia Wilson, who was last year's MVP, is alongside her. We just found out Angel McCautry, who had a phenomenal year there a season ago, tore her ACL, so she won't be playing. But they're a stacked roster, and it's going to be fun to see, like, how Bill Lambeer gets all those pieces together. You and I always love watching Seattle play because of their style. They take a ton of threes. Sue's leading the charge out there. Brianna Stewart coming off a monster year in Russia where she was the Euro Cup and league MVP and a champion. Um, Elena Deladon, after not playing last season, after multiple back surgeries, um, it's going to be coming back this year. Probably won't be available for the first set of games, but will ease her way in. Joined with Tina Charles, formerly of the New York Liberty, now um, down in down in DC. So like, and there's just stars. Diamond De Shields, one of my favorite players to watch when she's healthy. How healthy is she this year in LA? What's going to look like with her teaming up with Candace Parker, who spent her whole career in LA and now is back home. She grew up in Naperville or at least went to Naperville high school. So there's so many really good stories. Each team has a number of stars on the team. That's worth watching. Sabrina Ionescu. I'm interested yeah. Dubai, to see finally, like we didn't really get to see what New York looked like last year. I mean, we saw what they looked like and they were bad. But Sabrina only played a couple of games. Like she's back. They've got Natasha Howard there now. They've got other free agent pieces that they brought in. They could be much improved. And And they're playing in Brooklyn at Barclay. Yeah. 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 So um, there's a lot of stories. And, 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 you know, if if there's a certain team that you root for, um, there's a story within that team and, and something exciting about that team, Minnesota. I'm excited to see Minnesota. Um, to see if they're going to be back where they were a few years ago, where they're competing for championships every year. So um, it's good. It's just like nothing but positive energy going on in WNBA. And then like, what's their voice this year? What, what's, what's the piece, their social justice piece, that piece that they're going to be passionate about um, because they had, they had such a strong voice a year ago. They had such a huge impact, um, you know, in that space, they had a huge, huge impact on the election um, in Georgia. Like what, what are the women going to get behind this year and what is that going to look like? Um, You know, that's always a huge part of what they do as well. 
they've had the strongest voice in sports, period. Like, it's not even, it's, it hasn't even been close. Like, since the beginning of, of all of the social justice stuff, the WNBA has been, been at the beginning of, of all of that stuff. But you said one name that I kind of forgot about um, that I'm kind of excited to see, Elena Deladon. Like, when I think about her, she's just like a pure hooper. Like, it's nothing that she can't do. She reminds yeah. me of like KD on the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like, the yeah. only way you can stop her is if she just misses her fucking shot. Like, <laughs> like there's nothing you can do. So... I'm excited to see her get back, hopefully healthy and, and back out there playing. And especially because she's never really played alongside somebody like Tina Charles. I mean, Tina Charles is a former MVP of the WNBA, a low block presence who has, you know, demanded double teams her entire career. Elena's never really been alongside that kind of a center or that kind of a post player. So it's going to be fun to see how things might open up for her because of Tina's presence on the floor. I think Tina's one of the more underappreciated players in the WNBA, like she was a baller when in, in her years in New York and, and before that in Connecticut when she won her MVP. So I'm excited too to see her alongside Elena and, and how that frees up things for Elena. Well, Rebecca, want to let you uh, go so you can go uh, to your other job, you know, being a mother <laughs> of four kids. Um, I feel like I just really quickly need to give a story that shows our dynamics. See, so we're in Minnesota in the finals in like I want to say 20, 2015, 2016, something like that. And I'm like, I, I'm so run down from a bunch of stuff, whatever. And I'm like walking in Minnesota. And, and, and I, he's, he's run down and a hypochondriac. Yes. <laughs> Dangerous combination. Dangerous. And all of a sudden I have like this dizzy spell. As I'm on the street where everything feels dizzy, I have to like hold on to like a telephone pole to like, keep myself standing <laughs> upright and I am freaking out. I'm freaking out. Cause I'm like, I'm like, what caused this? Like I'm, I'm going through a million things, thinking of the worst things or whatever. And Rebecca very calmly ushers me to a Starbucks, assures me everything is going to be okay. Gets me some food. You probably need some sugar. It's okay. Like get, <laughs> gets me some food and then proceeded to answer all of my worried hypochondriac questions for the remaining <laughs> Four games of the series, I believe. Oh my god! That's the kind of teammate Rebecca Lobo is. <laughs> see, see, all, all I was missing was like the diaper bag where I could pull out, <laughs> pull out like I do with my kids, the princess band aid, and just put like slap it on. Say everything's gonna be fine, just like when your kids are little and you put the band aid on and it makes all their worries go away. That's all I was missing in that moment with my guy Rye. <laughs> <laughs> pretty accurate. Pretty That's accurate. Great. Oh, well, Rebecca. Rebecca, thank you, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to us broadcasting in Seattle for our audience. Uh, Rebecca and I will be on the game with Seattle and Vegas, which is 3 Eastern, Saturday on ABC. Uh, the doubleheader starts at 1 Eastern on ABC, and we'll have 25 games during the regular season on ESPN and ABC leading into the playoffs, in which we will have every single game of the playoffs in September and October. Uh, Rebecca, amazing getting to finally do this, partner. Thank you so much. Yay. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, Rebecca. This is awesome. Well, dude, I loved, I, I, interestingly enough, I had never asked Rebecca the Gino story and why she went to UConn. I didn't know that. That's crazy. That's crazy yeah. all those years. And, and, and I mean, and she was kind of at the beginning of, you know, his run, like, you know, him recruiting her and getting her there. Yeah. Set, set UConn on that, on this path of, you know, where they are today. So 
That's huge. And obviously hearing the story about her parents not really wanting her to go there, yeah. her turning down those other great <laughs> academic schools to go to UConn, like, that's a, that's a pretty cool story. That's awesome. Oh, it, it, it is great. And I love the way you guys can re- relate to each other. It was fantastic. So everybody, make sure you check us out. Rebecca and I will be on the call with Holly Rowe um, on Saturday, 3 Eastern on ABC for the Storm and Vegas. And Washington, Chicago will tip things off. Uh, Tiffany Green, LaChina Robinson will be on the call that 1 Eastern on ABC on Saturday afternoon. You guys know the deal. New episodes every Thursday Bonus episodes as well. Uh, we're, we're getting a little bit of a rhythm of two a week. So I like keep, it. Yeah. Keep your ear to the grindstone. Is that what the, they say? Keep your ear to the grindstone? Is that the I quote? I've, I've never heard that. I, th- I think that's the quote. So keep your ear to the grindstone. <laughs> also want to give a special shout out to our producers, Sadie Zillow and Bobby Wagner holding it down. They do such a fantastic job. They always keep us in line, keep the show running. And, and they're just great humans and we love them. So shout out to them. Peace.